0: Lord, we pray that you would do your people good this day, and we'll thank you for it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Right, chapter 25, so we'll see if you've gotten all this down this morning. So chapter 25, paragraph 1 deals with what? Put you to the test this morning. I'll help you. Does it deal with the visible church or the invisible church? Yeah, come on, folks. Well, take a look at 25.1 and see what it says, if you've got your book. Invisible. The invisible church. Thank you. It deals with the invisible church, and I'm not going to go through what all these are, I just want these things, okay, if something comes up and I want something set in my mind, I can go look. All right, 25.2, we got invisible in the first one and I already given you a clue, so 25.2 deals with what? The visible. the visible, very good, very good. The visible church, and again, you can go back and review what we talked about it. Paragraph 3 deals with, now this is where I've given you some words, but paragraph 3 deals with what? Whether you use my word or not, what does it deal with? The duties of the visible church. All right. The function, it was the word I used. But yes, what the visible church is supposed to be doing. You remember we talked about the ministry and then the tools and then the necessary power from the presence of the Lord and the working of the Holy Spirit. Paragraph 4, we've spent a number of weeks on. Paragraph 4 deals with the what? Another word that starts with an F. It's the up and down, the, the, the fluctuating church. All right, the fluctuating church, the more or less visible, the more or less pure, all right? And we talked about what makes it more or less. What are the things that factor in uh, to that? Prayer, love, and God's word. Those are the three things particularly that come to play in the the church fluctuating. How much the church, how much the people of the church are making use of prayer and God's word, right? And love. Certainly, love being the summary of the moral law as given to us in the New Testament. Loving God, loving our brethren in the church, right? We can't do that. It's going to be kind of hard. You know, it is kind of interesting, isn't it? I see this a lot in some of the situations I have. But it's easier, a lot of times, to love the world, that is, love the people in the world, to, to, to give genuine love, to give good expression, scriptural, to those we don't know, and even those that would not be our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's quite, a lot of times, it's, it's easier to show love and kindness to them than it is to our own brothers and sisters sitting in the pew in front of us or behind us or next to us or whatever. And um same thing's true and, and with with anything. More people are around you and you around them. Items. We finished it up last week. So we're looking at 25-5 today. And I've labeled this the faltering church. Now the fluctuating church and the faltering church sometimes aren't that far apart. And most likely you're going to have a church that's fluctuating some before it becomes a faltering church. They aren't making use of some of those things. And we're going to look at some of the things that get us to that faltering church. But let's look at what the paragraph says. We haven't read through this one. The purest churches, I'm on page 638 of the material if you have it. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth To worship God according to his will. So, now, the purest churches, purest here is not perfect. Right? Because we know the struggles we have personally in our own life. Well, the church is made up of us. So if we can't get it right in our own life, then the church is going to have some difficulties too. But that being said, what, if I can put it this way, what advantage do you have in the church that you don't have just dealing with your own life individually? What would you, give me your thoughts. I'm thinking of one thing in particular, but you may have some other thoughts. What would? What's the advantage? Because, again, a lot of people today don't have a lot to do with the church. They don't see it as being that big a deal. Uh, we can worship at home, whatever. But, Paul? Well, the practicing Christians, where you for draw wisdom and strength? Good, it, yeah, exactly. Other Christians, other Christians to help, to help when you fall, to lift you up, to help a word with a word of encouragement, a word of instruction. Now, you can have that by the Spirit speaking through his word to your heart. But having Christians, when the church is functioning As it should, right? The church, the people in the church, will be of great help one to the other. Right? And of course, in carrying out the ministry, you can't carry out the ministry of the church by yourself. It takes the group, it takes a collective people. Not huge necessarily, but certainly it takes. More than one to do the things God would have the church to do. Purist churches under heaven are both are subject both to mixture and error. And you see in your proof text there, Matthew 13:24 through 30, and we've looked at this before, the mixture here, the mixture is what? Jack? Yeah, you're saved and you're lost. Regenerate, unregenerate. Bob? By that definition, I don't think there is any such thing as a pure church. Well, there, there wouldn't be a totally pure church. But the purist, that is, we're comparing because some are more pure than others, but none are perfectly pure. Yeah, there's not. There's not. If you find one, stay away from it. All right, didn't it? <laughs> Because if, if I joined it, it'd be in trouble in a hurry. Jack? I read a report That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. But the point here is the purest of churches, and and this is Bob's point here, the purest of churches have lost and saved in them. So they they aren't totally pure. Just from the get-go, I think that's Bob's point is if you got lost people who are members of, because they professed to be saved. It's not that they're atheists and you took them in the church anyway. We're talking about people who have, as we've talked about before in the visible church, people who have professed to be Christians, but they aren't. And it's not for us to go around, "I I wonder if they are, I wonder if they aren't. That's for the Lord's working The Lord knows the heart. We take people according to their testimony. We don't know the heart. And we need to deal with each other at face value and let the Lord do the distinguishing and the judging. What do you say about the wheat and tares? Rip them out? Rip the tares out? Yeah, go in there and get rid of them. No. No, what do you say leave them alone. Let them grow. Let them grow. Be aware. We know they're there. When we do the harvest, there's going to be some separation to do. The Lord will do that separating. But we have the wheat and the tares. That example, uh, the next page, 640, Matthew 13, 47, we have the net with all manner of fish in it, again, the lost and the saved. We looked at one other uh, when we were back in the visible church, uh, one other group of um, illustration, one other illustration uh, of the mixture, and that was the house with the clean and unclean vessels. Okay? Another illustration. So, the Lord's told us the church is gonna have a collection of people in it, not all of whom are saved. And we act accordingly. And we try to be as good of a testimony and influence. You know, it's just a, maybe a, a warning to us that how you act towards someone that you don't know if they're saved or not saved. You aren't trying to make that determination. But just maybe it's one thing that the devil uses to harden their heart. Well, if that's the way Christians are, you've heard that. If, If that's the way Christians treat one another, who wants to be a Christian? So we need to be careful, knowing that there is the mixture in the, uh, in the church, right? And then the purest churches under heaven are subject to error. And that's my question two on page 641. And what is it that causes error in the church? Now, we're talking about churches that we assume and are started as Christian churches. We aren't talking about the, the synagogue of Satan that is started that way. That's not a church, right? But we're talking about churches where presumably there is a testimony and there is a desire to do what the Lord would have them do, to teach truth, to evangelize, and to edify the functions of the church. Evangelize and edify, right? So, what happens? What happens? Well, we've got a few things. We'll take a look at some scripture passages here. Take a look. Uh, Matthew 7, 15, we can start. And we'll we'll be flipping through so if you got your Bible, uh, I don't most of these I don't think are in your are in your proof text stuff. Matthew 7 verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now you shall know them by their fruits and so forth. yet? here false prophets now that could be somebody talking to you individually but false prophets generally are going to be people teaching teaching in the temple teaching in the church people with strange doctrine false prophets these are people who aren't there as servants of the Lord but they are there and this is where particular the potential for danger is here when you have the mixture because you sometimes get folks who just get sidetracked they're well they don't get sidetracked they were never on track if they were lost but they mentally they know a lot of folks know the devil knows a lot of truth all right? but then they take and they start perverting that truth oftentimes very subtly just like the devil did with adam and eve you know well does, does the sabbath day really apply in the new testament era right i'm not going get into all that, but that's just the kind of thing. Why do you even ask the question? What's the harm? As a believer, why would not you want to keep the Sabbath day? So why do we start asking the questions? Because we don't like the results. We want to be a little freer. We want to establish our own definition of Christian liberty instead of what God says. So what do you do? You start looking for exceptions. You start making scripture not say what it says. That's what happens. That's what's happening here. False prophets. Take a look at um, Matthew 24, verse 24. For there shall rise again false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, if it were possible that they deceive the very elect, what's happening to the, the rest of the people that are in the church? And even here, I've got to believe that some of the elect are... Maybe being influenced a little bit. Maybe inclined to lean that way a little bit. Got to be careful. Jude. Well, let's just I'll hit them in order. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 11. Verse 13 13 through 15. For such, you you can back up and read it to get the full thing, but I want to just hit the verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness." whose end shall be according to their works. Why is there error in the church? You, you, you read passages like this, you come to understand. We we obviously have an enemy. We talk about this frequently. Satan loves nothing more than to, discord, uh, to, to sow discord in the church among brothers. He loves nothing more than to get us sidetracked, to get us with some kind of you know, I don't have to keep all the law. Or, well, you know, I'll just ignore that and no one said anything otherwise to me, so it must be okay. Whatever, we, make, we, we come up with excuses. And, and do we see why? We, we have ministers of Satan among the brethren, in the churches. And you look at where churches have gone throughout history, and you can see it, can't you? You can see it. you start looking, how in the world did they go from being so much doing the work of the of, of the kingdom, fulfilling their function as a church, to being over here in Denying the virgin birth? Denying the necessity of the blood atonement? You know, that's in your day and my day. Not limited to that. But we have churches that just flat out ignore or even disagree, teach contrary to the word of God. Oh, Jesus was just a man. He was a good man. The example, you know, you've heard these things. Perverting the truth. Ignoring the truth. Not preaching the truth. Whatever. Right? So you've got there in Second Corinthians 1 John. Get to Revelation, back up about two pages, and you're there. 1 John, chapter 4. Beloved, believe not, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And then it goes on to tell you how you can judge them. So, you can again jot down the references and you can go back and read them and see what they say. And then Jude, verse 4 For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ in the church. False teachers, certainly. Uh, won't go back. Second Peter two one through three has some 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 verses there too that deal with it. All right, so that's one false teachers. Look at Galatians chapter four. We'll go I'll go backwards here. Have too many pieces of paper in my Bible. It stops me. Galatians chapter four nine through eleven. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Dealing with tradition, all right? Now, you have to be careful because Scripture talks about tradition both in a good sense and a bad sense. All right? So just be careful when you see tradition that you're not saying, oh, this has got to be bad because we know tradition is bad. Well, no, it's not. It's not all bad. But you have to understand generally when it's bad in Scripture— You're depending upon tradition. It's a a work salvation. All right? It's a work salvation. You do what the church says, the traditions. You have to carry out. You have to fulfill. You have to honor the traditions of the church. You can't be saved. And obviously, the Roman Catholic Church would certainly have a lot of that. But sometimes... Again, we, we can impose some of that upon ourselves and others. Oh, well, you didn't, you didn't do this. You, you, you haven't prayed as much as I think you should pray in church, in prayer meeting. You, whatever, you know? Um, sometimes we, we start putting traditions and judging people by the traditions instead of by the word of God. And again, just be careful. And as you look at these, you, I think you'll see the, the idea that you, you these people, Galatians, were going back to, they were ignoring what they'd been taught concerning Christ and the gospel and the freedom that it gives. We're no longer under the law. Paul says, I can't believe. That you folks want to go back to the bondage of the law the traditions the bondage of the law away from the the liberty that you have in the gospel. Have I spent time teaching you for nothing? Has it been in vain? That's what he's asking. Did, Did you not listen? Did you not learn? Why? Why would you go back? Well now in fairness, these are people who had been doing these things for generations, right? We've got to be a little careful here when we start trying to be judgmental that, oh, yeah, why in the world would they? They, they must really have been bad or ignorant. No. It's what they were taught all their life. It's what they believe. We've got to do this got to do the sacrifices. Whatever it may be. Paul says, no, you don't have to do that. It's Christ. You have perfect liberty. He's done away with that. So don't go back and start trying to do it again. Um, when you start offering sacrifices, be it your works, be it an animal on an altar or whatever, when Christ has died And paid the price for your sin, and you go back and start doing what was typifying it, now you're making naught of the work of Christ. So you don't want to be caught up in that, and that's kind of what these Jews were doing. All right, Um, Colossians. right here in the epistles will Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ it happens He's writing to a church. He's warning them. Watch out. Be careful that you don't get caught up in tradition there was one of the things that he mentioned. Um, Matthew 15. Matthew 15 verses 2 through 6. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? We got the Pharisees talking to Christ. Why do the disciples transfer the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said Now here, they didn't wash their hands, so they've sinned. Because our tradition says you don't wash your hands, you're defiled. All right? So that's what they're That's that's the conversation that's going on here. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? The Lord just flips it. Our tradition says they ought to do this. God says... Why do you honor your tradition in lieu of what I've told you to do? Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, and here's their tradition, so he's just comparing, but ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father, his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. You're lucky to have me as your child uh, type thing. And honor not his father, his mother, he shall be free. In other words, nothing wrong with that, according to the Pharisees. Thus, if you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So again, they, they looked for reasons. They looked for excuses. They looked for ways to make life what they wanted it to be. We do the same thing. We're inclined to do the same thing. Maybe not to that extent, maybe worse. What makes churches become a faltering church? No church. Preachers who want to keep the people in the pew happy say nice things. They never touch on the hard stuff. Never talk about sin. They never talk about if God's word says this is what you're to do, that's what you're to do. We make exceptions. Well, the civil law says I can do this. I don't don't get put in prison for doing this. So it must not be wrong. No. It's not wrong in the civil realm. But the civil realm Does it determine what's right or wrong for you? God's word does. And even though in the civil realm it's okay, if God's word says it's not okay for you, it's not a crime, it's a sin. Right? The civil realm, it would be a crime. The spiritual realm, before God, it's sin. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. How I many Christians won't be in a church today? Because it's raining. Because I can sit at home and watch it and I can have my cup of coffee while I'm doing it or whatever. And again, I'm thankful for ways people can join in. We have people who've joined in here because they just couldn't find a place to go worship where they live. It's not the ideal by any means because what we said about having the collective help, you don't get that. Tuning in by technology that's available. Tradition over God's word causes error. Can cause error in the church. Okay. Second Timothy. Familiar passage. Second Timothy three 15 and 16, and, and it's, you, you're, you're aware of this passage, and uh, Paul talking to Timothy, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And we talked about the nurturing aspect last week, uh, the nurturing requirements of the church. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. What causes a church to falter? Well, here's a big cause. They just don't use God's word. You get social issues being dealt with. You get man's opinion being given from the pulpit. Uh, Classes, you know, from the children up. We talked about catechizing. We talked about honing in on that training last week when we talked about the nurturing. You're, You're giving them a set of doctrine and teaching that equips them You don't have that, and you're teaching them little stories, whatever, and they're not getting the meat. Hardly the milk is so watered down, it's more water than milk, right? You have that uh, happening, and, and that's true in the home and in the church. The church has a responsibility to do it. The church can't do it by itself. It's better than nothing at all but when it's being done by the church and the church helping the parents and the two working together then you're going to have people you're going to have young people who know all right the lack of teaching and the lack of knowledge lack of teaching lack of knowledge it'll get you to a faltering church hearts of the people 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they, people that teach are, are saying what they want to hear. That's, that's what they're doing here. Um, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. The hearts of the people turned away. The proof uh, text over there on page 640 in number two, Romans 11:18 through22, this high-mindedness, getting proud, you know thinking we've arrived. That'll get you in trouble in a hurry too. Kind of like the Ephesian church that left their first love that we saw in Revelation. That they, they got kind of satisfied with themselves, right? Lack of discipline. Uh, we, we've covered some of that uh, before um, in, in our number one on back on page 639 in what causes the church to be less pure, the lack of discipline. I'm not gonna go through that. Lack of prayer. Uh, some additional things on that, I'm not gonna rehash that. Wisdom for wisdom, James 1, 5 through 7. Right praying, Luke 18, 1 through 14. Um persistent prayer, watchful prayer, thankful prayer, and an unlearned laity and unlearned shepherds. All right? Which goes back to studying God's Word. But you you got you got people standing in pulpits today that don't have a clue what the gospel is. I mean, I've seen it. You can go sit in their service, and you'll never, ever hear about the need to accept Christ as your Savior. That you're a sinner. You need to try to do your best. You know? Nurture that good that's within your soul. We need to be kind to one another. And that's it works for religion. They have no clue. Seminaries that aren't teaching. It's happening. I mean, you can see it. You can go to churches in Greenville and you can sit in a service and never hear. You may never even, they may never even open up God's word to you. They may never even have a text. They just get in and tell you what they think, what you ought to do this week, what you ought to believe, and the people in the pew, do it. They're satisfied. The sad part is they think they're good Christians. They think they're okay before God. They have no clue. Faltering church? Yeah. That pulpit that at one time may have been very fervent, may have had a minister that preached the word of God in its fullness. No longer. No longer. So those are things that can lead to this faltering church. Right? So we'll look at paragraph six next week and the addendum stuff, Lord willing, finish up uh, with that so let's have a word of prayer and uh, Jack you know, the one thing that I didn't hear you mention. well there's probably a lot of things that I could have mentioned but yeah. but go ahead Well, certainly that would be part of it. And, and again, that's why I mentioned what we talked about with the fluctuating church. A lot of that's the same thing. And we hit that with that. And so what we said there, you don't have the Holy Spirit yeah, you, you may as well close the doors. You, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Good. All right. Well, if you have other questions, let me know. And maybe we can touch on them next week, Lord willing. And um, we'll... See, again, pray, pray for our church that God will protect us. There's nothing that keeps us from being a fluctuating church or she had a faltering church. But God's grace, the help of the Holy Spirit that Jack just mentioned. So be in prayer for us, for, for the, the churches, good churches that may be Drifting a little bit. Just pray that God, for the churches in Greenville, will preserve them and protect them. They've got the same enemy we do, and it's a powerful enemy. A powerful enemy. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness to us, for your mercy. Lord, that we are here today is evidence of the great love and mercy and grace of the God that we serve and of the savior who gave himself for us. So Lord, help us in our worship today, help our hearts, Lord, to, to consider and, and, and to rejoice and to give thanks for all you've done for us. Protect us, Lord, protect thy people, thy churches, Lord, those that may be drifting. Lord, keep us from, from doing so. Lord, we pray for those uh, that are, that they would take heed as the church is there in Revelation, that they would repent and do again the first deeds, the first works, that they would examine their hearts as we need to examine ours, Lord. We understand. We understand the nature of our heart. We understand our being prone to wander. Lord, we feel it we pray that by your spirit, your mercy, and for the victory that Christ has accomplished for us, that we would know and we would live in the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel, that we would know more and more of the love of God as expressed and shown and brought to us through Christ. Lord, help us in the remainder of this day. Make it a good day for us, for all your people. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.